Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. The Syrian civil war has grinded on for seven devastating years. And thanks to heavy support from Moscow and Tehran, Bashar al-Assad has reclaimed much of the country's territory over the past few years. But the biggest battle yet may be just getting underway. In the northwest corner of Syria, close to the Turkish border, sits Idlib, the last opposition stronghold in the country. Before the war, Idlib was home to about 750,000 people. But the population has swelled to two and a half to three million, mostly refugees fleeing the war elsewhere in Syria, as well as a large number of rebel fighters. Assad is now turning his guns on Idlib. Joining the crisis next door to discuss this critical juncture in the Syrian war is Seth Jones, director of the Transnational Threats Project and a senior advisor to the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He is also an adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. Uh, Seth, thank you very much for joining us here today. How critical is Idlib for Damascus? Idlib is absolutely essential right now. It is the last remaining major stronghold of rebel activity, and it's also a major stronghold for jihadist activity. There are a number of groups um, that are affiliated with al-Qaeda operating in the area. Um, It sits along the Turkish border, so if the uh, Assad regime in Damascus is not effective in crushing rebel opposition, it does not win in Syria. Well, let's set the scene in Idlib. How strong are the rebel forces, and how many different groups are we talking about? There are actually a lot of different groups on the ground in uh, in Idlib, which sits up along the Turkish border in northwestern Syria. Um, groups include uh, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, which uh, has its uh, offshoots in uh, al-Qaeda and its organization called Jabhat al-Nusra, it's got uh, some groups that are um, affiliated with Arar al-Sham. It's got a small Islamic State presence, and it's got a number of other armed uh, opposition groups in the area. What's interesting is uh, Turkey has actually reached out and co-opted a number of these organizations in its efforts to um, fight against Kurdish uh, organizations in, in Turkey. So there's some state support for groups operating in these areas. Then that's the deal with Syria. There are so many different players that are active in Syria, uh, whether it's various international players, Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, or the various jihadist groups within Syria. Are there any particular jihadist groups in Idlib that have a greater control over that region than the other groups? And, And where does the Free Syrian Army fit into this? Well, uh, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham is among the larger groups operating in this area. Um, 
uh, and the group that uh, that was at one point called Arar al-Sham, also pretty large in numbers. Um, those are probably two of the larger groups uh, operating in the area. There are others um, uh, as well. There are some smaller pro-Al-Qaeda factions that are called, uh, one's called Turas al-Din, and then there's another one called Ansar al-Tawhid uh, that operate in the area. But the uh, the uh, HTS, or Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, and the former Arar al-Sham folks are the largest of the three major factions. There have been reports that some of those groups have targeted each other with killings. How does this work in Assad's favor? Could those groups unify in the face of a shared threat? Uh, it's unclear at this point. I mean, one of the interesting things about uh, jihadist and rebel groups operating in Syria is uh, there is a fair amount of competition between them, as well as with the Assad regime, uh, there's also been a lot of fluidity between groups. So um, individuals have left some and joined others. Uh, so really, it's a fluid series of networks. Um, and, and again, there has been some infighting. I, I would suspect at this point, we're not likely to see a, a significant grand merger of the three main factions or alliances left in Idlib, but it's certainly possible. As you mentioned, the proximity to Turkey and Ankara has played a significant role in Idlib. It's moved mechanized infantry brigades and commandos into the region, somewhere north of 1,000 troops. Is this a red line at all for Damascus, risking confrontation with Turkish troops? I think it uh, it can. I, I do think there are, though, there are a range of um, issues that the Syrians have to be concerned about. One is, this is likely to be a really bloody battle. They have um, already uh, dropped leaflets in the area around Idlib, encouraging rebel fighters to leave, presumably into Turkey. Um, if they stay and fight, uh, it's likely to be bloody. It's likely to lead to large-scale destruction, perhaps along the lines of what we saw in Aleppo, which was, uh, which was also devastated by fighting between the Syrian uh, government and rebel groups. Um, there, there are certainly uh, potential challenges uh, and the possibility of Syrian government coming into direct conflict with Turkey. But this is where countries like Russia can play an important role. Russia has been uh, providing airstrikes and other support to the Syrian regime, including in and around Idlib. It's in pretty regular contact with the Turks. So a country like Russia will certainly attempt to be a mediator between uh, the Syrian government and the Turkish government operating in in the Idlib area. Russia seems to have somewhat flip-flopped on Idlib. Uh, Russia's Syria envoy recently said that Moscow had no plans for a major assault on Idlib. Uh, now Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov says that the Syrian army has a right to defend itself against attacks in Idlib, and Moscow will support those operations. Is Moscow walking a, a fine line uh, using its support for Damascus and its uh, relationship with uh, Ankara right now? Well, look, I think uh, Moscow, at the very least, would like to see the Damascus regime reconsolidate control over particularly eastern parts of the country. They would also like to see uh, terrorist groups that have uh, perpetrated attacks in Russia um, crushed. Uh, there are a number of individuals and networks uh, that exist in the Idlib area that certainly pose a threat to Moscow. I think one of the other things that Moscow does have to be careful about is I think it will try and disassociate itself to some degree 
from military actions there, at least uh, ground operations, because we know um, several times in the last few years the, the Assad regime has used chemical weapons against uh, populations in various areas. So I think there's also a, at least a PR, a public relations effort to try to distance itself, even though Moscow's pretty well integrated into military planning and execution in Syria, including in Idlib. Uh, Damascus has been increasingly lose, using the Kurds uh, in its uh, ability to go after various rebel groups. Uh, do you think that perhaps the Syrian army would pull back on that support if it goes into Idlib, not wanting to risk a conflict with Turkey, given Turkey's animosity with the, with the Kurds in Syria? I think that's possible, and I think it's certainly possible that Damascus and Ankara will continue to talk about their use of surrogates. Uh, the Turks not surprisingly, have not really wanted to use many of their own ground forces operating in the Idlib area, which is why they have worked by, with, and through local surrogates, including Hayat Tahrir al-Sham and the former Arar al-Sham, what's now called by some the National Liberation Front. Uh, this is, in a sense, run by the Free Syrian Army. Um, uh, in addition, uh, Damascus is not going to want to lose large numbers of its soldiers in ground operations as well. That's why it has resorted to proxies along those lines as well. So I, I do think there is there is the potential for some kind of um, of an understanding between Turkey and Syria with Russian involvement about uh, particularly support, armed support to Kurdish forces in and around the area. What's Iran's role in all of this? Are they playing much of a, a factor when it comes to Idlib at this point? Not really. Uh, Iran does have a notable presence. There also um, is a notable presence of Shia uh, militia forces operating in, in Syria, including Hezbollah. Uh, we've seen the Iranian presence more notable publicly in areas along the Golan Heights. Uh, this is the Jordanian-Syrian-Israeli border because the Israelis have conducted strikes against both fixed and mobile uh, units, either of Iran or of Shia forces. Uh, but the area up in Idlib is primarily one where we see Syria, Turkey, and, uh, and Russia uh, operating with a pretty minimal Iranian presence. And, and incidentally, not a major U.S. presence either. The U.S. at one point did conduct some strikes in Idlib against um, al-Qaeda-affiliated groups that were plotting attacks in the West, uh, but that has largely, um, largely disappeared. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking to Seth Jones, director of the Transnational Threats Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies about the importance of Syria's Idlib region. What's the terrain like around Idlib? Are there, are there particular challenges that would face the Syrian army if it launches this assault and tries to take it back? I think the most significant one, much like we've seen in other places like Aleppo, um, is uh, urban operations. Um, urban operations uh, do pose a, a threat and a problem to ground forces, uh, Syrian forces, or surrogates operating in cities like Idlib. Uh, there are a range of uh, uh, potential threats from snipers, from improvised explosive devices, jerry-rigged uh, explosive devices, uh, uh, remote control bombs, suicide attacks, uh, rocket-propelled grenades, 
all sorts of ways that insurgent rebel and terrorist groups um, can make up for their weakness in either numbers or capabilities by resorting to guerrilla tactics. Um, this is this is the kind of thing that you know certainly it, it was problematic for Iraqi forces operating in Mosul. It was it's problematic for Israeli forces operating in Gaza or the West Bank, and it was certainly challenging for Syrian forces in Aleppo. I think the same urban challenge uh, is true in Idlib as well. Does Assad need to worry about collateral damage, or do you think he would resort to the days of Aleppo when uh, Syrian planes and helicopters were dropping barrel bombs all over Aleppo and, and destroying large swaths of the city? Both Syria and Russia have uh, expressed a pattern, uh, implemented a pattern of um, pretty ruthless counterinsurgency operations, in, particularly in urban areas. Uh, the Russians did this in Grozny and Chechnya, where they largely destroyed the city in their war against Chechen rebels. We've seen the Syrian government do it as well. I would expect the Syrian government to uh, resort to large-scale uh, atrocities, artillery uh, strikes, uh, fixed-wing and helicopter strikes, potentially even chemical weapons um, to clear neighborhoods uh, out. So I, the, the Syrian government's report, repeatedly shown a willingness to use large-scale atrocities, which does raise the strong possibility of uh, a notable influx of uh, internally displaced persons within Syria, as well as refugees. Most refugees in this area would almost certainly go, at least initially, uh, into Turkey. We've seen Idlib's civilian population swell many times over in the past several years. How dire is the situation on the ground right now in Idlib for those people? It's pretty dire. I mean, what, what the Syrian government has done is it's agreed in clearing out areas like Damascus, eastern Ghouta, which is outside of Damascus. It's bust a number of rebels from those areas that it hasn't killed or captured up into Idlib. So Idlib has been like the, the sanctuary or the prison for jihadist and other rebel groups operating in Syria. Uh, and it's partly by choice of the Syrian regime. So right now it is stuffed with rebel groups. Many of them are sort of pushed up against the Turkish border right now. Um, I think there's an interest right, right now from the Syrian government to essentially asphyxiate that whole area. Um, so uh, I, we're, we're almost certainly likely to see as the war intensifies in this area, problems with uh, health care, uh, with starvation, malnutrition, a whole range of of uh, economic challenges to people there as well. So across the board, uh, problems among civilians. With the Syrian army concentrating around Idlib, does this give an opportunity for another group somewhere else in Syria perhaps to rise up? Can ISIS perhaps reform itself and strike with the Syrian army focused elsewhere? It's unclear. Uh, the U.S. still has a presence in some areas of western Syria. Uh, there are other groups on the ground there. The Syrian Democratic Forces, or SDF, which the U.S. has worked with, still operate in eastern parts of Syria. So for the Islamic State to rise up and resurge in areas like the east of Syria, you know, there still are watchful eyes from countries, including the United States, uh, in those areas. So um, I, I, I think it'd be hard for uh, Islamic State to 
take significant territory in Syria right now. They certainly could perpetrate attacks, which we've already seen attacks in Raqqa and other Syrian cities that were once cleared of Islamic State activity. But it'd be hard for them to control significant tracts of land, at least in the near, near term. If Idlib does fall to Assad's forces, might this be the beginning of the end of the Syrian civil war? I doubt it. Um, I think uh, there are a whole range of governance challenges uh, that Assad has to face, including economic ones. Um, I think uh, Syria also faces uh, potentially what Afghanistan has faced over the past several decades, which is a neighboring sanctuary in Pakistan. In this case, it's Turkey. Uh, It's certainly possible that that, uh, a number of surviving rebel groups that get pushed out of Idlib will go across the border into Turkey, especially ones that have worked like Hayat Tahrir al-Sham or the um, National Liberation Front that have worked with Turkey uh, either in the past or currently, will simply go across the border and live to fight another day. So I'd be very surprised, even if the clearing of of Idlib were to uh, trigger a notable end of the war. I think this one's likely to burn for a while. And one of the reasons is, we still have, for the moment, a number of outside actors willing to provide assistance to groups, whether it's the Turks, the Jordanians along the, uh, the, the southern parts of the country, the U.S. with actors in the east, uh, and, and a number of Gulf states continue to provide outside assistance. Is there any chance of diplomacy, or do you see the assault on Idlib as a fait accompli? Well, I, I think if if Assad could essentially broker a deal with a number of groups, he'd, pre- he'd prefer that to fighting. I just I don't know that it's likely at this point. I think what's more likely is uh, is that the regime will at least attempt an assault, military assault on Idlib and areas around it. If it gets too bloody, it may pause. Uh, it may essentially cede over time territory. We've seen it with Cambodia ceding territory to the Khmer Rouge. But I think ideally, um, uh, either through military force or negoti- uh, negotiations, Assad is going to want to take that territory back. It's, it's, it's the single most uh, significant area of um, rebel control in the East, and he's been successful so far. I think he wants to win. And the world awaits Assad's next move. Seth, thank you so much for joining us on The Crisis Next Door. It's great to be on. Thank you very much. We've been joined on The Crisis Next Door with Seth Jones, director of the Transnational Threats Project and a senior advisor to the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.